ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد So if you remember we were discussing in this chapter regarding the will of Allah which comes into the discussion regarding the decree of Allah ma sha Allah kan wa ma lam yasha lam yakun that whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills then it will certainly occur and whatever Allah does not will then it cannot occur so this whole chapter was around this topic of the will of Allah and we broke it down in the earlier lectures regarding the different types the mashia and the irada and then al irada al kawniya al irada al shar'iya that we discussed previously Here now it is a case of mentioning some of the ahadith that are evidence for all of those points that have been made. All of that discussion that we had, then all of these narrations here right now are evidences upon it. So today then, we begin with this narration where Al-Imam Al-Bukhari says, قال حدثنا محمد بن العلاء قال حدثنا ابو اسامه عن بريد عن ابي برده عن ابي موسى قال كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم اذا اتاه السائل وربما قال جاءه السائل او صاحب الحاجه قال اشفعوا فلتؤجروا ويقضي الله على لسان رسوله ما شاء In this narration then Abu Musa says that when a questioner used to come to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam إِذَا أَتَاهُ or جَاءَهُ Both very similar. If a questioner came, somebody with a question, came to the Prophet wasallam, or somebody who had some need, he had some need or another, came to the Prophet wasallam, then He would say, إِشْفَعُوا فَلْتُؤْجَرُوا وَيَقْضِ اللَّهُ عَلَى لِسَانِ رَسُولِهِ مَا شَاءَ إِشْفَعُوا فَلْتُؤْجَرُوا What does he say? Intercede for him and you will be rewarded for that. And then, And Allah will fulfill what He wills through His Messenger's tongue. That is the purpose of the narration because it highlights Allah's will. That Allah will fulfill upon the tongue of His Messenger what He wills. So remember that key line or point ma sha Allah kan wa ma lam yasha lam yakun whatever Allah wills then it will be and whatever Allah does not will then it does not occur wa fil hadith dalilun ala istihbab ash-shafa'ah li sahib al-hajah وهذا مشروط بما إذا لم يكن في ذلك مفسدة ف 
فإن كان في ذلك مفسدة فإن الشفاعة لا تصلح لأن الشفاعة مصلحة محدودة ترجع إلى صاحبها الذي شفع له فإذا كان ذلك يتضمن مفسدة عامة أو مفسدة خاصة على نفس المشفوع له فإنها لا تشرع فلو جاء شخص يسأل نفقة وأنا أعلم أنه إذا أعطي النفقة سوف يبذرها ويشتري بها ما يحرم من دخان أو غيره فحينئذ لا تشرع الشفاعة لأن هذه الشفاعة ستؤدي إلى شيء محرم وكذلك إذا كان يخشى من مفسدة عامة بحيث إذا شفعت له صار هذا إذا شفعت له صار هذا وسيلة إلى أن يستعمل الناس الرشاوي والوسائط التي ليس لها حق فهذا أيضا لا نشفع له In the hadith as a secondary point the sheikh he highlights that it is recommended that you do shafa'ah for a person in genuine need. If you know that there is a person in genuine need of aid, of assistance, then it is good for you to do shafa'ah for him, meaning that you speak on his behalf to somebody who can help him, that you go and talk on his behalf, put a word in for him. If you know somebody is in genuine need, is in genuine necessity, then it is good as a Muslim that you try and help him and you go put a word in for him somewhere with somebody who can help him. But if it is known to you that by you doing this shafa'ah, and when we use the word shafa'ah, what does shafa'ah actually mean? What's the linguistic meaning of the word shafa'ah? Lughatan. To make something odd? To make something even. Shafa'ah from a shafa'ah, to make something even. So now you have one person, then you have another person who speaks on his behalf. Now the pair of them have become an even number, shafa'ah. So it is essentially that you are then going to speak on behalf of somebody else to somebody else. So here you can do that for somebody genuinely in need. But, but, if you know that this individual who may be in need, that it will cause some corruption specifically upon him, or generally that there will be some corruption caused in aiding him, then of course you cannot do this shafa'ah. For example, the shaykh says, if a person came asking for money, he says he is in need and he needs some money, some assistance. But you know that this particular individual, if you help him and you give him money, you give him assistance, that he is going to go and spend that on cigarettes, for example, or other haram items, for example, then it is not permissible for you to intercede for him. It is not permissible for you to get involved and try and help him with that. Or if you fear there would be some other more general corruption that is caused as a consequence of aiding this individual, then you don't do that. But if it is somebody genuine, then it is mustahab for you to aid and to help your brother. In the other famous hadith, إِنَّ اللَّهَ فِي عَوْنِ الْعَبْدِ مَا كَانَ الْعَبْدُ فِي عَوْنِهِ 
Akhihi, that Allah will be in your aid, in your assistance, as long as you are in the aid and assistance of your brother. So generally that is something good unless you know that there is some corruption that may be caused from that. Then there's a side issue here, the Shaykh, he mentions a side point. Is it permissible to do that with employment issues? With employment issues. Meaning, you have somebody, a brother, who's working in a particular company. One of the brothers is working in a particular company. And that brother, maybe he has a decent role in that company. He has some ability to put words in for new applicants into that company. Is it permissible to use that to your advantage in your application? To say to this brother, I'm going to apply for this job. There's likely going to be another 50 applicants. But my application, just do something with it. Do what you can. Put some words in for me with the manager. Push it forward a bit. Put it to the top of the pile. Do something like that if you can. Is that permissible or not? To take that type of advantage from the situation. To seek that type of shafa'a from this person that you know. To give you an advantage over the other applications? No. No. Uh, official recommendation thing, whatever, no problem. But here, none of that exists. This is just a case of brother X, Y, and Z works at the company, he's been there for 10 years, he knows the bosses, Put a word in for me. Put my application forward at the top. Tell them about me. Put some good words in for me. Is that allowed to give yourself an advantage in the application? So you're saying it's allowed or not allowed? Not allowed. Allowed, inshallah. Inshallah. Help your brother in need. Salamatullah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I recall something where... Don't worry, we're not shy of correcting people. Carry on, huh? <laughs> I recall something where... Um, forgive me if I'm wrong, but Prophet Muhammad said that you wouldn't say someone was a good man or not because he didn't know his end. That's not really uh, connected directly to the issue here what the end result of a person is going to be, that's a different type of topic. Right now, just in this scenario, what's allowed, what's not, as Shaykh al-Uthaymini says, الشفاعه في الوظائف جائزة or if that's the question, he says, الشفاعه في الوظائف جائزة بشروط that this type of thing could be done with conditions in place. It could be done with conditions in place. Firstly, and this is the most obvious condition, that this applicant, this brother, who is applying for the job, is deserving and actually has a right, uh, uh, not a right, but has, is deserving of this recommendation he is seeking. So now he's saying to that brother who works in the company, tell him that, you know, I've got 10 years experience working for this other company and I was, I was given uh, unofficial uh, extra duties I used to do. And all of this is true. All of this is true. He has all of these extra qualifications, abilities that don't show up officially on his record. Maybe he's got these other deserving points. So he is deserving and it is accurate this intercession he's asking the brother to do for him. Which would be different to a situation where a brother, miskin, hasn't really got what it takes, knows he's not really fulfilling 
the criteria required for application to this job. So he says, well, just put in some words telling me, you know, it was like this and it was like that, and just try and, try and fluff it up a bit. That clearly now is impermissible. So first condition is that the person, if you're asking somebody, put some words in for me, they are words of absolute truth about you. You want to get some words across that are absolute truth about you, and they are deserving of what you're saying. Secondly, أَنْ لَا يَكُونَ قَدْ تَشَوَّفَ لَهَا مَنْ هُوَ أَحَقُّ بِهِ مِنْهَا فَإِنْ كَانَ قَدْ تَشَوَّفَ لَهَا مَنْ هُوَ أَحَقُّ بِهِ مِنْهَا فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَجُوزُ الشَّفَاعَةَ أما إذا كان كلهم واحد فالظاهر لأنه إذا كان ليس هناك مزاحمة فلا بأس Here the second point he mentions is أَلَّا يَكُونْ قَدْ تَشَوَّفَ لَهَا مَنْ هُوَ أَحَقُّ بِهِ مِنْهَا That in the kind of example we're talking about imagine now there's two brothers applying for that job and they both go to that other brother who's already been there for 10 years and they both ask him put some words in for us but one of them from these two brothers is clearly far superior more deserving then in that case the one who is clearly lesser in his qualifications his abilities his experience it's not really permissible for you then to try and give him the recommendation and the push knowing that this other brother this other applicant is far superior and given everything being equal if you didn't know this other brother then without a doubt this other application will be the one so then you can't try and give a shafa'a knowing that there are others who are far more deserving of your shafa'a if it was going to be like that but if the shaykh says it's a level playing field it's all level amongst the applicants and there isn't a huge amount of applicants it's a level thing with some applicants there or, or I mean he it's not even about applicants it could be you're in a job already etc but there isn't any issue involved like that then yes you could just bring out and put light upon the positives of this particular brother in terms of that job or that raise or whatever it may be so it's within conditions and limits it's not an open thing where brothers are clearly not qualified for a particular job or they are clearly weak applicants and they know there are others far more superior then that brother can't really be deceptive in a way and try and convince the bosses such and such is the one for the job when you can clearly see in your applications there are far more superior ones to these others that are asking for your intercession so it's within limit and it's not something you can do openly like that. Then after that, the hadith, Imam al-Bukhari says, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَى قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ الرَّزَّاقِ عَنْ مَعْمَرْ عَنْ هَمَّامٍ سَمِعَ أَبَا هُرَيْرَةَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم قال لا يقل أحدكم اللهم اغفر لي إن شئت ارحمني إن شئت ارزقني إن شئت وليعزم مسألته إنه يفعل ما يشاء لا مكره له This narration we spoke about it briefly earlier The hadith where the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم mentioned Don't Say, none of you should say, Oh Allah, forgive me if you wish. Oh Allah, have mercy upon me if you wish. Give me sustenance and provisions and provide if you wish. Rather, وَلْيَعْزِمْ مَسْأَلَةَ State your request, your dua, with conviction. State your request to Allah, your dua to Allah, with conviction. Not, oh Allah, 
if you will this, if you wish that, but rather request your request with conviction from Allah. إِنَّهُ يَفْعَلُ مَا يَشَاءُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does as he pleases, as he wills. لَا مُكْرِهَ There is nobody who can force or compel Allah to do anything. Allah does as he pleases, as he wills. So you make your dua with conviction. Asking Allah with that firm, resolute mindset, with conviction. Knowing that Allah hears, knowing that Allah answers. Make your dua like that. Not to make dua half-heartedly. You do not make dua half-heartedly. You make dua with a full heart and conviction, asking Allah for your requirements. So the point here is, إِنَّهُ يَفْعَلُ مَا يَشَاءُ That Allah does whatever He wills. Again, an affirmation of the subject at hand. Then after that, Imam al-Bukhari says, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ إِبْنُ مُحَمَّدِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ حَفْصٍ عَمْرٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا الْأَوْزَاعِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنِ إِبْنُ شِهَابٍ عَنْ عُبَيْدِ اللَّهِ إِبْنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ إِبْنْ عُتْبَةِ إِبْنْ مَسْعُودِ عَنْ إِبْنِ عَبَّاسٍ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا أَنَّهُ تَمَارَى هو والحر بن قيس بن حصن الفزاري في صاحب موسى أهو خضر فمر بهما أبي بن كعب الأنصاري فدعاه ابن عباس فقال إني تماريت أنا وصاحبي هذا في صاحب موسى الذي سأل السبيل إلى لقية هل سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يذكر شأنه قال نعم إني سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول بين موسى في ملأ بني إسرائيل إذ جاءه رجل فقال هل تعلم أحدا أعلم منك فقال موسى لا فأوحي إلى موسى بلى عبدنا خضر فسأل موسى السبيل إلى لقية فجعل الله له الحوت آية وقيل له إذا فقدت الحوت فارجع فإنك ستلقاه فكان موسى يتبع أثر الحوت في البحر فقال فتى موسى لموسى أرأيت إذا أوينا إلى الصخرة فإني نسيت الحوت وما أنسانيه إلا الشيطان أن أذكره قال موسى ذلك ما كنا نبغي فارتدا على آثارهما قصصا فوجدا خضرا وكان من شأنهما ما قص الله This hadith now mentioning the story regarding Musa alayhi salam and Khidr. In this narration it mentions at the beginning Ubaidullah ibn Abdullah ibn Utba ibn Mas'ud from Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma that they Tamara huwa or that he Tamara ibn Abbas he and Al-Hurr ibn Qais, Al-Fazari, 
they were having a discussion or a dispute. What's the word used? A difference. They had a difference, a discussion and a difference over the companion of Musa. Ahuwa Khidr. Is it, was it Khidr? So then Ubay ibn Ka'ab walked by them, walked past them. And Ubay ibn Ka'ab was known for his knowledge of what particularly? Israeliyat and Quran as a whole. So Ibn Abbas called him over and said that I had a difference myself and my companion here over the companion of Musa, the one which Musa asked how to find him. They phrased it as? Musa asked the way to meet him, how to find him, how to get to him. Did you hear the Prophet ﷺ mention anything about him? He said, yes, I heard the messenger say, whilst Musa was in a congregation from Bani Israel, a group of them from Bani Israel, a man came to him and said to him, do you know anybody more knowledgeable than yourself? A man came to Musa السلام, and said to him, Do you know anyone more knowledgeable than yourself? Musa السلام, said, No. But then it was revealed to him that rather it is our servant, Allah revealed to Musa السلام, it is our servant Khidr or Khadr. So then Musa السلام, asked how to find him, how to meet him, where to go. So Allah made the fish, the whale, as a sign for him. It was said to him, if you lose that fish, that whale, they say whale or what? Fish, if you lose that fish, then return back from there and you'll find him, you'll meet him. So Musa السلام, was following the, the route of that fish, seeing where the fish was going, the water movement and following that in the ocean. فَقَالَ فَتَى مُوسَى لِمُوسَى So then the, the young boy, they say what? The boy's servant of Musa, who was with Musa, said to Musa, أَرَأَيْتَ إِذْ أَوَيْنَا إِلَى الصَّحْرَةِ Do you see if we were to go uh, like to a rock or to a cave? They say what? Do you remember what happened to us when we betook ourselves to the rock? Do you remember what happened when we went to the rock? That I forgot where the fish was and it was only the shaitan that caused me to forget so Musa said that is what we want they say that is what we have been seeking so then they returned back upon their footsteps they say they went back retracing their footsteps. So then they found Khadir. And then what occurred after that is mentioned in what Allah has narrated to us. So this is a narration regarding Musa السلام, somebody coming to him and asking him, Do you know anybody more knowledgeable than yourself? He said, No. But then the revelation came to him that there is Khadr. So Musa السلام, said, how do I find him? How do I get to him? So then he was told to follow in the, the footsteps, as we say, of the fish, to follow behind that. And then eventually when they follow through with that, they come across and they find Khadr. What is the purpose of this narration here? 
it is when you read the Quran and the story regarding this in the Quran, it mentions in the ayah, Satajiduni insha'allahu sabiran. That you will find me insha'allah as a patient one. So that is therefore affirming the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who was Khadr? I just mentioned it. Alright, so who was Khadr? Who was Khadr? A righteous man at the time of Musa alayhi salam? A prophet at the time of Musa alayhi salam? Was he a righteous man or was he a prophet? Khadr at the time of Musa alayhi salam. A righteous man only or a prophet? He was a prophet, you changed your opinion? Anybody else? Was he a prophet or was he just a righteous man? Khadr. Rajalan Salih. Prophet. A righteous man. So, the Sheikh says. Does he say? Hal yu'addul khadr nabiyan min al-anbiya? Is khadr al-khadr considered a prophet from the prophets? Is he considered to be a prophet? This, before we get into the discussion, is something the scholars have discussed and they've come to different opinions regarding whether Al-Khadr was a prophet or not. Here as Shaykh Al-Athamini says, according to him and the opinion he's mentioned here, As-Sahih annahu laysa bi nabi. He says what he regards to be correct is that he was not a prophet. لَكِنَّهُ عَبْدٌ أَعْطَاهُ اللَّهُ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَ مَعْلُومَاتٍ لِيَتَبَيَّنَ بِذَلِكَ أَنَّ قَوْلَ مُوسَى إِنَّهُ أَعْلَمْ أَهْلِ الْأَرْضِ أَنَّهُ لَيْسَ الْأَمْرِ كَمَا قَالْ مَعَ الْعِلْمِ بِأَنَّ مُوسَى عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ أَفْضَلَ مِنَ الْخَدْرِ He says that Al-Khadr was only considered as a righteous man at the time, not a prophet. But then... The question that arises is, in that story between Musa salam and Al-Khadr, don't certain events occur, and those events, the outcomes of them, Khadr knew. For example, in that story what happens? The killing of the boy for example. The, the ship regarding the boat, the building of the wall, all that. These things, how could they have been known other than revelation from Allah? How could Al-Khadr have known those things and what was going to happen except by way of revelation? That's why some scholars say that he must have therefore been a prophet from the prophets. He was a prophet. Because those events that took place and what he knew, the knowledge he had regarding them, could not have been in any other way than revelation. So he must have been a prophet. However, as Shaykh al says, that the correct opinion, as far as he mentions, is that he is not a prophet. And he explains and says, that knowledge that Al-Khadr had, was very specific knowledge given to him. You may say as a one-off type of thing, not that he was a prophet getting revelation, but as this one-off incident, he was given these pieces of knowledge to clarify and to highlight to Musa 
that there was actually somebody who had been given certain types of knowledge superior or knowledge that he didn't have. Because when Musa salam was asked, is there anybody more knowledgeable than you? He said, no. So then Allah clarified to him, actually, there is a person who has been given certain types of knowledge. So the scholars, they say, Al-Khadr was just given those pieces of knowledge very specifically just to make this point and clarify to Musa salam, there is somebody more knowledgeable. But the other scholars, they say that is far-fetched. They say if he was given those pieces of information, he was given, therefore, you're agreeing, revelation, then that is as good as saying that he was a prophet then. So you have this difference between the scholars regarding whether he is considered as a prophet or not. Also, the scholars, they say, Musa alayhi salam was a messenger from the best of the messengers given revelation from Allah. Now for there to be somebody else who has knowledge more than what Musa alayhi salam had in those particular issues, then that person must have had at least the status of being a prophet. It cannot be that just a normal man righteous as he may be, had knowledge higher than Musa salam in certain given affairs. Couldn't have just been a normal righteous man. To have knowledge more than Musa salam in those affairs, he must have been at least a prophet. So you have those differences between the scholars regarding that. The ayah that is used by the ones who say that he was a prophet as an example Atainahu Rahmatam min indina wa'allamanahu min ladunna ilma. That we gave him our mercy, a mercy from us, and we taught him the knowledge from us. Taught him the knowledge from us, that knowledge he was taught is revelation. He was given revelation. As for the mercy that he was given, Allah says Al-Khadr was given this mercy. What is that mercy being referenced here? Min ladunna ilman is the wahi. So the rahma, they say, is prophethood. They say the tafsir of that rahma here is that he was given prophethood and then the ilm, the revelation. So anyway, that is an issue that is differed over regarding whether he is considered to be a prophet or not. The sheikh says what we can definitely say is that he had knowledge. He had a level of knowledge, but it doesn't necessitate that this knowledge he had made him a prophet. Other scholars, they say it does necessitate that he was therefore a prophet. But that is a discussion, an old discussion amongst the scholars regarding that. Then after that, the final narration in this chapter, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوا الْيَمَانِ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا شُعَيْبٌ عَنِ الزُّهْرِ وَقَالَ أَحْمَدُ بْنُ صَالِحٌ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا بْنُ وَهَبٌ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنِي يُونُسٌ عَنِ بْنِ شِهَابٌ عن ابي سلمه ابن عبد الرحمن عن ابي هريره عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال ننزل غدا ان شاء الله بخيف بني كنانه حيث تقاسموا على الكفر يريد المحصب in this narration it is mentioned So in this section of the hadith, it mentions that tomorrow, inshallah, we will camp at the Khayf of Bani Kinana. 
And that is where the kuffar made their covenant or agreement or took the oath of kuffar. And that is the place al-muhassab. So here the purpose of this narration is tomorrow we will come insha'Allah. Remember all of these narrations, Imam al-Bukhari is mentioning them here in this chapter now as evidences regarding the will of Allah. That narration does bring us to the end of that section regarding the will and the wish of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But this narration continues into the next section which is Bab Nuzulin Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Mecca. The chapter regarding the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam descending upon Mecca. Here, Qala Haddathana Al Humaydi, Qala Haddathana Al Walid, Qala Haddathana Al Awza'i, Qala Haddathana Al Zuhri. عن ابي سلمه عن ابي هريره رضي الله عنه قال قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم من الغد يوم النحر وهو بمنا نحن نازلون غدا بخيف بني كنانه حيث تقاسموا على الكفر يعني ذلك المحصب وذلك ان قريشا وكنانه تحالفت على بني هاشم وبني عبد المطلب أو بني المطلب ألا يناكحوهم ولا يبايعوهم حتى يسلموا إليهم النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وقال سلامة عن عقيل ويحيى بن الضحاك عن الأوزاعي قال أخبرني ابن شهاب وقال بني هاشم وبني المطلب وقال أبو عبد الله بني المطلب أشباه this hadith is the same in fact and it mentions that the Prophet ﷺ said tomorrow on the day of slaughtering whilst they were in Mina. So this is in the time of Hajj. When they were in Hajj and they were in Mina. Yawmun Nahar the day of sacrifice, the day of slaughtering is what day? The day of Eid as we recognize it. Because Hajj, it begins on when? Huh? Ninth of the Hijjah. From the Sunnah Acts and everything, Hajj begins. On the 8th of the Hijjah, which is the day of, where are you going to be on the first day of Hajj, the 8th of the Hijjah? In Mina. Then on the 9th of the Hijjah is the day of Arafah, when you fast, if you're not in Hajj. Then the 10th day of the Hijjah, the Hijjah, which is the 12th month of the Islamic calendar so 10th of the 12th or 12th of the 10th for the international listeners then that is the day of Eid known as the day of sacrifice the day of slaughtering so here in this narration it says and then after that the 11th and the 12th those two days are the days of well three days but those two days what do you do Stoning, and then after the 12th of the Hijjah, you can so you can leave after that, or you can stay and do the stoning on the 13th of the Hijjah also. So, here the Prophet said, Min al Ghad tomorrow. The day of sacrifice, the day of Eid. And he was saying this while they were still in Mina yet. 
نَحْنُ نَازِلُونَ غَدًا We are gonna go down tomorrow upon the Khayf Bani Kinana to camp the camp of Bani Kinana. How does it mention it? You don't have this text? Ajit? In your workbooks? The hadith exists or not in your workbooks? You don't have this hadith in your books? In that case, where is it? Get a copy check. English. No, the Arabic. The Fath al Bari or something, anything. That's the one. It's not in the workbooks? So, where does yours go to next? In the workbook. In the workbook, where does it go next? Hadith of who? Abdullah ibn Umar. Where does yours go next? Okay. In that case, this section is an addition to explain the hadith only. It is an addition placed here as an explanation of the hadith only. And it's not part of the section in which case we move on to the next narration for now which is the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar in your workbooks hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar number what in the workbooks huh? 7480 in your workbooks in the workbooks the English workbooks 6,999 in the workbooks. That's the one we're on now. 6,999, 6,999 in the فقال إنا إنا قافلون إن شاء الله فقال المسلمون نقفل ولم نفتح قال فغدوا على القتال فغدوا فأصابتهم جراحات قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إنا قافلون غدا إن شاء الله فكأن ذلك أعجبهم فتبسم رسول الله the opening of the narration mentions that the Prophet وسلم, uh, placed a siege upon the people of Ta'if. There was a battle, however, or not a battle, but he encompassed them, surrounded them, but did not conquer Ta'if. And then he said, So, inna insha'Allah. Qafiluna, we're going to take the caravan and go. Everybody's going to go. The caravan meaning that army of people, the caravan, as they call it when you go across the deserts. Now, we're all going to leave tomorrow. Inna qafiluna insha'Allah. On this, the Muslims said, how should we return without conquering it? So then the Muslims, they said, how can we return? How can we go without conquering it? He said, فَغْدُوا عَلَى الْقِتَالِ He said, then carry on fighting tomorrow. Then carry on fighting tomorrow. فَغَدَوا So they did so. فَأَصَابَتْهُمْ جِرَاحَاتِ And they were afflicted with injuries. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّا قَافِلُونَ غَدًا إِنشَاءَ That we are going to return tomorrow, inshaAllah. فَكَأَنَّ ذَلِكَ أَعْجَبَهُمْ And it's as though... They said what? It seemed. It seemed. It is as though 
that suggestion pleased them. فَتَبَسَّمَ So the Prophet ﷺ smiled. This is clear. The Prophet ﷺ said, tomorrow we are going to leave. Insha'Allah. We are going to leave tomorrow. Insha'Allah. This is an example of when the Prophet ﷺ told them, we haven't conquered it, we're going to leave. That was the command from the Prophet ﷺ, we're going to leave tomorrow. But they said, but how can we leave when we haven't conquered it yet? So then the Prophet ﷺ allowed them to carry on trying. And when they did, they were hit and they received injuries. Then the Prophet said to them again, we're going to leave. This time, when they realized now, after receiving the injuries and the wounds from their attempt, it's as though they were happy with the suggestion to leave now. So, this is, the Sheikh says, very similar. This situation that happened in this narration is very similar to a hadith that we've covered before. In the chapter of fasting, in the Ramadan lessons that we do, we cover a hadith regarding Al-Wisal. You remember that narration where it mentions in the hadith, نَهَا النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ عَنِ الْوِصَالِ that the Prophet ﷺ forbade continuous fasting. Meaning that at suhoor time this morning now, at 5 a.m., whatever it is, 6 a.m., you have your suhoor. So then you start fasting all day tomorrow, all day Sunday. It gets to Maghrib time tomorrow, 4 p.m., and you don't open your fast. Carry on Sunday night, tomorrow night. Carry on all the way through all day Monday. Gets to Monday 4 p.m. Maghrib time. You don't open your fast. Carry on Monday night, Monday evening. All the way through Tuesday fasting. So you haven't eaten now. You're on Tuesday. You haven't eaten since tonight. Continuous fasting without opening it for two days, three days, four days. The Prophet ﷺ in the hadith forbade anybody doing that instead you're supposed to fast and then at maghrib time open your fast not carry on but when the prophet said that to them it says in the narration that a man got up and he said but you O messenger of Allah you do the continuous fasting the Prophet ﷺ used to do it. Have the suhoor one day, fast all that day, don't open it. Carry on all the next day, the next day. Maybe two, three, four days without food or water. So the man said to the Prophet ﷺ, But you, O Messenger of Allah, you do it. So the Prophet ﷺ said, The first thing the Prophet ﷺ said to him, وَأَيُّكُمْ مِثْلِي But who from amongst you is like me? Who from amongst you is like me? And then he explained regarding how Allah feeds him, etc., quenches his thirst, mentioned the points. But the, the, the reason why that's mentioned here is, at the end of the narration, when the companions kept on insisting, that they wanted to do continuous fasting because the Prophet ﷺ used to do it. Then in the end, the Prophet ﷺ allowed them. He said, okay, allowed them to do it. And he did it with them. So one day all of them had the suhoor and they began the fasting. Fasted all the way till Maghrib, nobody opened it. Carried on the next day to Maghrib, nobody opened it. 
they would have carried on to the third day, but then the new, new moon came out. And the Prophet said to them, لَوْ تَأَخَّرَ الْهِلَالِ لَزِدْتُكُمْ كَالْمُنَكِّلِ لَهُمْ حِينَ أَبَوْ He said, if the moon had been delayed, hadn't come out tonight, I would have carried on. 48 hours, continuing beyond that. Carrying on, 60, 72, beyond, beyond. Going into the further days. Why did the Prophet ﷺ allow them to do it in the end when he told them at first, don't? Just like in this hadith, when he told them at first, that's it, we're leaving. But then they said, but how? We haven't conquered it. Then he allowed them to do it. Why in both of these examples did the Prophet ﷺ say one thing, but when the companions were insisting, he allowed them to do that thing? Why? To let them see what? So the scholars have mentioned this type of thing happened so that the Prophet ﷺ could let them see for themselves physically why he was telling them what he was telling them. So when they fasted for two days or three days and the Prophet ﷺ told them if the moon hadn't come out, moon had come out, it was eight day next day. So you can't fast. He said if the moon hadn't come out, I would have carried on even more days. So now when they had tested it and tried it, they knew they wouldn't have been able to carry on more days. So now physically they knew why the Prophet ﷺ was telling them don't do that. In this case what happened after they insisted but we haven't conquered yet? The Prophet said okay, go tomorrow and try. So when they did, then what happened? They were physically harmed and wounded. So now the next time when the Prophet told them, they knew why he was telling them that we need to stop at this moment and leave. It's not going to work at this moment like this. They now knew physically from having attempted, being allowed, being wounded, seen what was going on. So now they physically knew why they had to do what they were being told to do. So sometimes those examples were given to them physically so that they would be aware of why they were being told and they would experience that themselves. Just on the topic of continuing fasting, then what's the ruling on it? <laughs> till the morning? What time till the morning? 10 a.m., 12 a.m.? So, how many opinions were there? Three. <laughs> All right. You're saying four? So one opinion was that it is not permissible full stop. You cannot carry on beyond Maghrib. You must open your fast at Maghrib. And that was the opinion of majority of the scholars. Comes to Maghrib time, you have to open your fast. One of the reasonings they used amongst others was the hadith. لا يزال الناس بخير ما عجل الفضر. You will remain upon goodness as long as you open your fast on time. On time when it comes in Maghrib. Second opinion was, well, let's go with the easy route. Second opinion was, it's permissible, do it, no problem. The evidence, the Prophet ﷺ, let the companions do it. If it was haram, then even just to show them as an example, the Prophet ﷺ wouldn't have done that. You can't let somebody do a haram just to show them why it's haram. So they said, there you go, it must be halal then. Otherwise, there's no way the Prophet ﷺ would have let them do it just to show them if it was outright haram. So second opinion, it's outright halal, do it, no problem. Third opinion was? Makruh, explain. <laughs> Third opinion was what? Uh, 
not true. I mean, I don't know what this opinion is, but you're saying it also explain it. All right, that together with what was said about ability. They said if you have the ability, then you can do it. But otherwise, it is makruh. If you can't really do it, and it's a problem, then it's a makruh thing for you to carry on trying to do that. But if you have the ability, you could do it. The fourth opinion was the opinion of Imam Ahmed and others. And they said, it is permissible, but only up until the suhoor of next day. So 24 hours. You can fast for 24 hours, but then you must open your fast. What's their evidence for that? So you're not sure if that evidence counts for anything here. <laughs> what was the evidence that Imam Ahmed used to say that it is permissible for you to carry on up until the Fajr of next day, so a 24-hour fast? <clears throat> Hadith in Bukhari. لا تواصلوا فمن أراد منكم أن يواصل فليواصل إلى السحر do not continue with your fasts, but whomsoever wants to, then you can do it up until the sahar, meaning the suhoor time of next day, 24 hours. So that was uh, another issue. We've done that before in the Ramadan lectures. We'll round off on that topic for tonight then. Next time we'll start with the new chapter. Bab qawlillahi ta'ala wala tanfa'u shafa'atu indahu illa liman adhina lah. حتى إذا فزع عن قلوبهم قالوا ماذا قال ربكم and then ولم يقول ماذا خلق ربكم من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه this chapter it talks about intercession that we spoke about now شفاعه so we'll mention some of the types of شفاعه that happen on the day of judgment it also talks about the angels when they talk to each other in the heavens the angels, when they talk to each other in the heavens and what they say to each other, there are some narrations telling us when angels speak to each other and what they say and what other angels say back. So that's what we'll start with next week, inshallah ta'ala. Anything to add before we round off? A woman wiping over the headscarf when making wudu. What's the ruling? <coughs> Anybody? A woman making wudu, wiping on top of the headscarf. Instead of taking it off and wiping on the head. Huh? For no reason. It's tied on. She's got it all wrapped up, tied on properly. Can she wipe over the top of it? Or does she have to unwrap it, take it all off and wipe on the head? What's the ruling? There will be differences regarding the issues, but generally, scholars do allow it. It's upon the same chapter as wiping over the amama of a man, the headscarf, the turban more like, not the headscarf, these, but wrapped up as a turban. If a person has it wrapped up as a turban, they mention the permissibility of wiping on the head, and then where your turban starts, going over the top of the turban. Therefore, scholars, based upon that, and based upon the loosely mentioned wiping over the socks, they say if a woman had it all properly wrapped up, especially outside of course, then she wouldn't take a headscarf off outside in public. 
So then you wipe over the top of that headscarf. So that is an opinion mentioned by the scholars based upon the ruling of the man being allowed to wipe over the turban and there are narrations about it. I don't believe so, but we'll uh, double check. I don't think so. I don't think so, but we'll double check. Um... Is it allowed for a young Muslim man, we'll round off on this, to visit the home of an elderly lady, lives on her own, she lives on her own, does not speak English, has no relatives, close by, and needs letters interpreting. So an elderly lady lives by herself, she doesn't speak English, she speaks another language, whatever that is, and it would be assumed that this young man speaks that language and therefore can do this interpreting of the letters. It would also be assumed that this young man is not the only man who knows the language of that elderly lady. And there are likely, likely other women who know the language of the elderly lady. And if that is the case, you could say there isn't a necessity for the man to have to go to her. The man can send his sister, can send his mother, can send his daughters, can send other female relatives from his family who it would be assumed speak the same language as this man and therefore speak the same language as that elderly lady. There are ways around it. There are ways around having to make a situation a necessity. So firstly, if this situation is not any type of necessity, there are other women in your family, the family of this man, etc., who speak that language, they should go. Why is the man having to go to the house of this woman alone there, doing what he's doing, interpreting? Why does he need to go? Firstly, you look at the, the situation of necessity, and there more than likely isn't going to be. It can't really be that there's nobody who speaks the language of this lady. So send the women folk around, send the women folk around to her. They can do that interpreting, they can take care of the needs of this elderly lady who has nobody else. That would be better and that would be required rather than this man, young man going to the house of this woman alone and doing whatever he's doing with the interpreting. So try to work out something along those methods instead inshallah. What he translates? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's another subject altogether. What he's actually translating has to be halal, what he's translating. She can't request for him to forge documents for her or anything like that. But that's another issue. Halas, we'll round off there. Next week after Isha, then insha'Allah. Wa sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.